0: Hello, this is Melissa Hale Spencer, the editor of the Altamont Enterprise, and I am here in an idyllic setting. We are in what is called the last house in Altamont, and I am on a lovely screened-in porch with Carol DeBryn. Carol wrote a letter to our newspaper this week As an 89-year-old, reminiscing over earlier Altamont fairs that she had been to, the watercolors she had entered in one for, the homemade goods, all parts of the history. And I thought this would be fun just to talk to Carol, take a trip through Altamont history. So thank you for having us. Oh, it's fun. It's fun. Thank you. Well, tell us a little about this house. I I will just describe to listeners, it is a tall, perfectly maintained Victorian house with a standing seam roof, this beautiful screen porch opening to gardens and a swimming pool, and you feel like you're
1: a million miles away. How how did you come to live here? My father was a country boy, kind of, but he was head engineer of Albany Steel and Iron, and we lived over in New Scotland where I went to a one-room schoolhouse. And when I was 11, his father, who was a lawyer, and apparently a lawyer for the people that lived here, told my father there was going to be a tax sale because his house was on the market because the people couldn't afford to take care of it. And so my father came, saw it, made a bid, got it, (laughs) And so when I was 11, we moved here. So that was in the midst of the Depression. That was
0: 1939. Yes. Um, Um, And I hadn't realized you started out in New Scotland. Just tell us a little tiny bit about the, the, you said the one-room schoolhouse you went to there?
1: I'm old enough to have gone to a one-room schoolhouse. New Scotland, it's now the New Scotland Town Hall. Oh. When you go down 184A, sure. is it, or whatever, going up to New Salem, it's on your right there. And It's it, a beautiful building. They keep adding to it, so it's bigger yeah, so than it was. But it was just a single, one-room school. And
0: well, who was your teacher? What was that like being in just Her one name room? was
1: Miss McLaughlin, and we thought she was an old maid, and she probably was all of 26 or something, <laughs> <laughs> and, she, and she taught first through eighth grade. And there were probably about 25 of us in the whole thing. Oh, my. With, you know, desks. There was a recitation for a bench up front with her desk on a little platform. And when our class was meeting, we went and sat on the recitation bench so we could get direct in the blackboards and so forth. And when we weren't, we went back to our little desks. Um, they were very modern because they took out the old metal ones, and had brought in little wooden ones with little wooden chairs, so we were very lucky. And um, we even had a hot lunch program when she decided to bring a hot plate in and opened a Campbell's soup every Sunday, every <laughs> noontime for us. And we had wonderful times with a recess in the morning. And we go where there were so few of us. We all played everything, you know, whether it was stick ball or there was a thing called alley alley over, which was throwing a divided in teams and throwing a ball over the roof of the school, and then the team that got it. Had to run around and try and catch whoever was on the other side, and they'd be out if they touched them with the ball.
0: Well, you had to have a pretty good arm to get over the roof. That's a tall, a tall not order. Not really. No, yeah. it wasn't.
1: It was a one-room schoolhouse, mm-hmm. not terribly tall. Anyway, probably the older boys would be, you know, because we had two eighth grade in the first place. Yeah. So the boys would be able to, older kids would throw the ball over, and then, you know, you divided going each way. There was only one ball, so one side would usually get to the other side free while the other got touched as they were coming because we exchanged. Anyway, it was a fun place to grow up.
0: Yeah, well, when you moved to Altamont, what school did you go to then?
1: The old Altamont High School. Oh. And we moved here in 1939. So it was the, well, the Depression really lasted until the Second World War when all the people had to be in either military or making military weapons of some Mm -hmm. sort. That's when really full employment began. But um, we came here, you, you think you move someplace and you'll be completely away from family, but it turned out my father's, one of his younger sisters had married a boy from Altamont who graduated 10 years before I did from the same school.
0: Well, tell us about that school. It was torn down in, its, in the same area as it the was, elementary school It was today. right in
1: front there. They have mm-hmm. a stone there marking it, and it broke all of our hearts because it was a very ridiculous thing to do. I want to say stupid, but that's because... It would have made a wonderful village hall, library, everything, Mm -hmm. everything. But they tore it down because the gentleman who was the principal of the school wanted to get his name known. So he developed uh, the school behind it with a brand-new elementary school. And so it's in the same place. So that was the street. You went to the fair, Right. It still still has the fair. Yeah, well, that's how there. I got in because they drove me over there, uh, brought my uh, wheel. My, I guess you call it a scooter. hmm Three-wheeled the vehicle. Electric.
0: Uh, yeah. But so tell us a little about the old Altamont High School. Any memories? of Oh yeah. It? Oh,
1: oh, completely. Completely. The um, downstairs were four big rooms. And they were first and second grade, third and fourth grade, fifth and sixth grade, seventh and eighth grade, and the upstairs was high school. And you just oops. and I went, I went, went, went from well, the downstairs I went, to the upstairs. Yeah, I came, I had gotten out of sixth grade. Yeah, in New Scotland, and so I went to seventh grade here. So, um, you know, I, and it was quite a change, I bet, instead of having
0: all the grades together, to have the separate classrooms. And well,
1: there were two grade, two grades to each. Oh, you know? two, yeah. Yeah, it was a first and second in one room, etc. So that we had two grades to each, and uh, it was fun. It and was I take fun. it you we were We had good a six-man students. football team. Oh, yeah. And we had a baseball team. We had recesses. We did not have a gym. We had, our recesses were going out to do whatever they had swings for the little kids and volleyball for the older kids and, and um, they did start a lunch program while I was there and it happened that the the principal's secretary her name was Dorothy Curtis was my new uncle's sister, so it was going there, and she eventually married a bachelor principal. But she started a school lunch program there down in the basement of the place so that we had a lunch program. And our, down, downstairs was our science room. And Everything else was upstairs.
0: Did you have a favorite subject? Did you oh, have a, yeah.
1: What was that? History. History, I I was very good at history. I couldn't spell worth a darn. What uh, was it you we, liked? Ha- we In those days, you know, and especially in the elementary schools, we had spelling bees. I was always the very last chosen because they knew I would be <laughs> the first one out. I still can't spell.
0: Well, these days, you know, no one has to. We've got spell check. What was it you liked about
1: history? Why did that appeal to you? I don't know. Fascinated me. Fascinated me. And uh, it carried right on so that that's one of the ways I got it was began writing articles for the enterprise because the local historian wife was one of my mother's best friends and bridge partners and as he got older his name was Arthur Gregg and he was the town historian and he was the village historian he got older and he couldn't do his research and he couldn't write so well so I would go and sit with him and we would talk it over and we would figure out local history which we added to
0: Yeah he did wonderful research deep deep yeah. first uh, resource sources research so what happened after you graduated what what turned your life Well
1: take? my girl scout leader's husband was with the New York State Education Department. And this was right after the war. They were developing junior colleges throughout the state to bring in veterans Mm -hmm. who would need education. And he was going around certifying these different schools that were starting up to become part of the state network. And he came in one day because he knew I liked to draw and so forth, and told my mother and father there was a new college in New York called the Fashion Institute of Technology, and he bet I would be perfect fit. And so when I graduated from high school, suddenly, having been a country girl with nothing in the way of society, I was went down and... and you were at went, FIT in New York City. I went to college in New York. I scared... <clears throat> I won't say what I was going to say, scared to death. <laughs> <laughs> and I had uh, met a couple of girls. My They didn't have a residence or anything. Um, my mother had a friend who was, had been a dancer and had trained in, in New York, and she said she had lived at the Three Arts Club and that that was for girls studying in the arts. And so my mother investigated, and they sent me down, to the 3 Arts Club and then I had to either take a bus or a subway because the 3 Arts Club was 85th Street and the Riverside Drive and FIT started as the top two floors of Central Needle Trades High School and so uh, and that was at 23rd Street 24th Street and um, Broadway
0: I had no idea you studied
1: fashion, so tell us about what that was like. <laughs> well, in those days, it was a junior college, mm-hmm. and um, they, the fashion industry wanted this because they thought that um, the people that were doing fashion then education were not practical. I mean, they were teaching the girls or the boys to draw pictures and design clothes and that didn't seem sensible to them. They wanted somebody that knew what the heck they were doing with fabric. Mm -hmm. And so they were training business managers. They were training technicians. They were training cutters. They were training designers and they were training illustrators. And so you were in the illustration? No, I was in the design. I started out um, in school. I was a floor model, because we did uh, fashion modeling for the students in the school, and a lot of the designers, of course, were boys, Yeah, and they couldn't very well model their own dresses. (laughs) So you were a model as well. I never knew that. Well, you know, it was just in school, but I was a runway model, and um, I studied fashion design. And um, because I felt like such a country girl, I was moaning and groaning to my aunt, who gave me $100 and let me go to Arthur Murray's to learn how to dance. And did you? Yes, I did. And was that fun? (laughs) (laughs) But anyway, I went to Art Students League on Saturdays to study watercolor. And uh, I eventually, in my second year of college, They had sent the school sent us to work in the industry. We had to know how to work in the industry. As a designer, we had to work with a a model, a a model figure, Mm -hmm. and we had to be able to work the fabric. We made drapes on the figure so that we could see what was going to be, and then you could make a pattern from what we did. So we they did that, and they called pattern slopers. Uh, we, from our design, you could just make slopers for manufacture, and uh, so in the first time, and they also wanted us to get practical experience. So they made us work in the industry part time for uh, experience. And my first one was with Madame Etta's. Uh, designer. She was a uh, Maurice Rentner, and she were in partnership. And Madame Etta was the fat lady's part. <laughs> oh my! <laughs> and so I sat on a stool under a hanging light bulb, <laughs> making buttonholes. <laughs> and models would come in that we were, we were making the model for the models for their fashion shows and so forth. And uh, But most of my time I was spent on plump ladies' garments, sewing sequins on evening gowns and things for the bigger model. And then my second year, they sent me to Advanced Pattern Company to an advertising department. And so I went to NYU at night to study writing. I went to the NYU professional writers' classes. And... um, so there, I, that was that. I
0: graduated. And what brought you back to Altamont after the Big Apple? I mean, did you come well, right home, I, or did you stay in the big city a while? No, or? I
1: was there 10 years. Oh, 10 years, and what did you do? Oh, I, I ended up first as an adver- in advertising and later in um, fashion design. I met my husband at Marble Collegiate Church. He was a wonderful dancer, and I could dance. So this Murray School paid off. <laughs> so Arthur Murray paid off. <laughs> and when he got, we got married. He was he was back from the service. He'd been mm-hmm. three year and a half years overseas, and uh, he was going to NYU Law, uh, NYU Business, at that point in time, and I. I couldn't support him on my money from the advertising. I had they when I went there after being there as a as a intern. They gave me thirty two dollars a week, and after I was married, I went and said, I can't afford my husband on thirty two dollars a week. So they gave me a two fifty raise. So I was making thirty two dollars and fifty cents a week. He was getting his GI money. We got a apartment on the ground floor in Greenwich Village. We lived in Greenwich Village. So Greenwich Village in the nineteen forties must have been a very exciting place. Mrs. Roosevelt lived on the corner of the same street we were on. She was on Washington <laughs> Square. <laughs> 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 that's, that's the dogs so this, that live yeah, here Yeah, that's great Do you want to coming to meet you or are they just going to keep barking through
0: your interview? Uh, sure
1: <laughs> right. no, And
0: uh, so We'll pick up where we left off after we meet the dogs Is this Eleanor
1: Roosevelt? Yeah. Oh my. That's when she was writing her my my day column. Oh yeah. And she lived in Holly Chambers on the corner of Washington Square. Hi, puppies. Hello. Hello. (laughs) Hello. Hello. They've been inside all day.
0: Yes, I know how
1: that is. I got knocked over by my dog last night when I came home. The table will be knocked over or whatever. (laughs) You and anyway, right this away. is Jeremy Rock And it's his sensor? wife Jeremy that took himself? the picture from the fair. Oh, it
0: was a great picture.
1: We Excuse ran me, it really um,
0: big because <laughs> she really knew how to take a picture.
1: And all of his photographic equipment is out in that room. Hey, 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 hey. You can't, you can't get pet and bark. That's just, that's not how that works. So let them go in the other if yep, you want to. Yep. Hello, Sit, Stitch. This is the, that's this stitch is that's Mama. Similar. Stitch. Yeah. Blue, Mama's a mommy. little one this is Mama? And Mama yeah. ran into a handsome Great Dane yes. And so her daughter's a bit bigger than she is <laughs> Oh, so their mother-daughter yes, yes, their mother-daughter Oh, isn't that great so Their mother-daughter nine, and the other one's seven so. Oh, wow That's what I get for leaving my dog with my mother For a, a semester what all What soft ears you have Yes, he went to, uh, went to school And he went to a Florida university You were over Oh, very eight. nice, where'd you go? Go to State Ah, so you were up north. Yeah. How do you like it? What'd you go for? Yeah, I assume. music before. Nice. And then you from around here, or?
0: Yeah, I'm originally from Sarasota
1: County. Oh,
0: nice. Cool. Where
1: right, you nice. go? Um, UCF didn't finish, but uh, so I did um, two years at Hillsborough and then transferred to UCF. Engineering.
0: That's where my mom lives. It's a huge story. It's another it's another it's a, it's an interview for another time. Yeah. <laughs> um, well very nice to meet your guys. Yes, dogs. you as well.
1: I'm sorry, let me uh let me get them out of your way. Stitchy, you have to go to the back. Come on, come on.
0: She's in she, a glory. She, she likes to sit part.
1: under the table by grandma's feet. Come on, you you need to go out. Tell her a treat. Come on. Tell her a treat. Mm-hmm. Go give her a treat. Come on, give you a treat. That's the she magic can be word. Me, so if you, huh? Sorry? What are you saying? I said that's the magic word, treat. Always. You know where to get it.
0: I know where to
1: get it. You can just shut the door and they can stay in there all they want. Okay. Nice me, to guys. meet you. <laughs>
0: <laughs> so, coming back to the interview after the dog meeting interlude, you were just mentioning you were in Greenwich Village and lived near Eleanor
1: Roosevelt. Well, uh, I lived, both of our addresses were Washington Place, I guess. And But I lived on the 6th Avenue end of the street, and she lived on the Washington Square. was very convenient for my husband because that's where NYU is. Yes, an easy walk. So did you ever run into her? I, not really. No. Not really. She was very, uh, I, I mean, she wasn't a park wanderer. She mm-hmm. was too busy. Mm-hmm. She was always very busy. The only person that I ran to of note, which nobody at this day and age would have heard of, but it was and then was a very famous actor named Monty Woolley, who was the original sour actor. Monty Woolley. Mm-hmm. And he, when I had uh, my daughter, after I'd been working, I switched to design. Oh, gets along. I I'm giving you too much. Bother. But uh, as I said, I couldn't afford to support my husband on that. So I put an ad in the uh, Washington Square paper, Mm -hmm. the Village Voice, that I I was looking for a job as, as I was a designer, a lingerie designer. And so I switched to designing lingerie, only to find out that lingerie designing was seasonal. You worked like a dog for spring for brides, for Mother's Day and brides, and you worked like a dog for Christmas, and the rest of the year it was catch-as-catch-can.
0: Oh, I had no idea, because people buy lingerie for just those special times.
1: (laughs) Well, not, you know, but I mean the rush and the design rush. Oh it, they, they carried it through the year, but the design rush was those two times. And when I wasn't working at a much nicer salary, of course, I was standing in line for my weekly check from the government. For In those days, it was $27, I think, unemployment insurance, something mm-hmm. like that. So at what point, you had 10 years in New York? What made you decide to come back to your roots here? Because, well, we lived in this little two-room flat in Greenwich Village, and we had our first daughter, um, Jane. And um, it was kind of crowded because we had a living room and we had a kitchen. So we had our choice of sleeping in the kitchen or the living room, and the baby had to sleep in the kitchen or the living room along with us. And uh, in those days particularly, old houses and so forth had lots of roaches and things like that, you know. And mm-hmm. so we'd be fighting the battle of the roaches with the baby and and a kitty cat that we put, brought in from the rain one night, hearing it pitifully cry in the rain
0: mm-hmm.
1: that somebody had dumped. So my husband's aunt died. She had what was called a taxpayer apartment out in Queens. And so we moved out there, and I ran a rooming house. A rooming house.
0: <laughs> and did that involve I cooking I had to give up the designing and, yeah. because I
1: was all the way out. In Queens, <laughs> too long of a commute. And Harry's aunt had been running this big apartment as a rooming house. It was uh, over, um, it was called a taxpayer because it was over the subway system, it was Metropolitan Avenue, and over the subway system, they couldn't go too high. Mm-hmm. And so it was what we have now, kind of a strip mall. Yeah. So the one apartment over. This like over. an
0: old-fashioned boarding house where everybody would gather for meals, or it was just no, separate uh, apartments. I should say,
1: rooming house, not boarding house. Oh, rooming house,
0: rooming house, rooming I house. So separate rooms that people had.
1: I rented rooms. I see. And I was very clever and hired a laundry service that once a week provided me with sheets and towels and I would take them to their rooms and that was, from then on, it was their problem. That's good. But it was very convenient because we, we, we were directly over a bar and grill, a newsstand, a beauty parlor, and a big grocery store. So everything you could want was right underneath everything you. Everything <laughs> was right there. And the corner of the street went up, and there was a lovely area, and Mrs. Bohack, who was the heir to the Bohack fortune, and that was the big supermarkets in those days. So on one side we're on Metropolitan Avenue with um, businesses, And upstairs, we had a a big old, it had been a big apartment and a dentist office. And so the dentist had had his apartment behind his reception office, his work, his dental chair and so forth, and his little lab. And so there were several bedrooms and several large living rooms and a dining area and a kitchen area, and lots of rooftop over all of this other stuff. And anyway, my husband's aunt died, and my husband, who was the lawyer in the family by this time, not completely, but just about, hadn't gotten his his, um, degree. Anyway, we moved out there, and I ran the rooming house. It was very funny. We had lots of... One yeah, I times. had no
0: idea you had all these adventures. I thought of you as Altamont all the way, but you did eventually no. move
1: back to the village, yeah? Well, that's the reason. We we had Jane there, and um, it was very cold in the winter, and she got very ill. And uh, we, Christmas time, we had she was just a year old, and we rushed her to the hospital, and they didn't know whether she'd make it or not. And fortunately, she did. But um, it was so cold there. We hated to come back. And at that point in time, my husband was working with the New York State Insurance Department. He started out there. He decided I had to, I was retired. He better darn well. So he was going to school nights. Mm-hmm. And I said they had Stuyvesant Town and Peter Peter Cooper Village sections in New York that was owned by Metropolitan Life. And I said you're with you know, the state tax, uh, I mean, uh, bureau and insurance bureau. You must have some in. And so we got into Stuyvesant Town, which was for the cheaper end for poorer people. It was for middle class. Mm-hmm. And we had um, four rooms, kitchen, living room, two bedrooms. And we... Um, Had three daughters, and my oldest, Jane, got to be five. And it just so happened that Stuyvesant Town kids went down into what was a a very bad neighborhood for school, where Mm -hmm. even the teachers were being molested or challenged by uh, bigger kids. Mm -hmm. And I said, I can't send a sweet little five-year-old into that mess and so Harry said, well, I'm not very happy here. I'll look for jobs and see what we can do. And while that was going on, the, uh, September had come, and the truant officer was saying, where is Jane? And so after about six or seven weeks of that, and are looking for some place to buy, Harry said he didn't think he liked his job there. Forget it. He didn't know what he was going to do. So I said, well, my mother and father live up here. They've got lots of room for us for, a while, for summer. So we'll go up there, and I'll start changing school up there. And so that's how we came back. Exactly, just 10 years after I had gone off to college, I came back with three daughters. So the youngest was born up here.
0: And you've been here ever since, except now you spend your winters in Florida. So tell us about Altamont, and what stayed the same over all these years, and what
1: has changed? Well, when when I was a kid here, we had an IGA grocery store, which is now where the knitting and yarn shop is. Mm-hmm. We had an A&P store, which was where Veronica's is, mm-hmm. and we had a Grand Union which is where um, Cindy has her home front cafe. There was a Grand Union in there, and next to it was a um, newsstand and soda shop. So three grocery stores. (laughs) Yes, and 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 on on Maple Avenue was a meat market, Williamson's (laughs) Meat Market, and that was where the Shilling Park is now after williamsons went they put in tennis courts and then they ended up with i remember when they took out the courts and put it
0: in the park yeah. yeah
1: so that was after that. the road construction but we had so we had everything here in the village you know as a kid as far as the grocery stores and everything and your children could walk to school
0: yeah um
1: not then no i did
0: yeah when
1: but. i but when my kids were here they had the bus oh the bus would come out and stop at the end of the driveway where our mailbox is. So same distance, but kids just couldn't walk it as much anymore. That, well, that was well. That's because really they were collecting from all over the sure, area, centralizing you know? the district. They yeah, were, and when I went to high school here, they came all the way from the city line out. Wow, that is a large area, and uh, so it, it was the only high school in
0: miles. So some of the things that make Altamont distinctive, one of the things you told me about was a mayor that inspired you and I think other Altamont residents to sort of adopt a Native American or someone from a different culture. Could you tell us a little about that and what happened?
1: Well, Altamont really had kind of a system of the leading men in the community kind of took turns running for mayor. and There was never any opposition much. And my father had been mayor for a couple of terms, and he, um, this chap named Larry Lawrence Warner, Larry Warner. There are Warners still here in town. You hear. And what was a, your
0: father's name?
1: Edwin Sanford. Okay. He was Altamont's first judge. He had been mayor. He'd been on the board for years. By the time he finished, he'd been with the village, you know, more than twenty years, I mm-hmm. guess all in all, but he was a professional engineer. But anyway, Larry Warner was the mayor at that particular point in time, and it was the Bicentennial. And And he he thought as a nice gesture for the Bicentennial, he would get as many people as possible who would do um, a partnership with Save the Children or the Pearl Buck Foundation or something. And once you contacted them, you would get a choice of area- mm-hmm. and I'd always been interested in American Indian, so I decided that I would do an American Indian family or child and adopt it was know, you in quotes adopted the kid, and you provided twenty five dollars a month, I think, in the first place to help support them. And over the years, you've developed a relationship with this family. Well, tell us about that. I've known them for 48 years. Oh, my goodness. And the the little boy, there was a brother and sister. And they lived in Bloomfield, New Mexico, on the Navajo reservation. Mm -hmm. They were Navajo and uh, saw them all the way through. But he started writing to me at, at the age of seven or eight. And I just got a letter from him three days ago. <laughs> so what did he grow up to be? What, what happened He to uh, went to college, first one ever went to college. And inspired, you know, by being adopted, and we kept in touch all the time. We wrote all the time. Uh, a home health aide, he... Um, was with one, a big company in that area, and uh, he even was sent to Washington, D.C., to lobby when they were talking about um, older people to lobby for home health, for aid for people instead of that it it was cheaper and more economic. Mm-hmm. Not to send people to a home, but to go to their homes and help them. Yes, it's quite a movement now. Aging in place. Yeah. Yep. So, and, um, so you he, went out to that's visit. What he's them. Still doing. Oh yeah, and you—you've been out to visit there, right? I've been to va- visit there. His sister came here for her high school graduation. Uh, she was a music. She was a musician touring the Indian areas with the um, Navajo Christian band. Oh my goodness! And so, for her graduation present, I got her an electric guitar. And after that, she said we went all over the place. She was playing her electric guitar, and so she's still a musician. She went up to Alaska, and was on the radio up there with Christian music. Oh my! Well,
0: and also, I wonder if you could tell us. I seem to remember you had a pet bird that
1: was very unusual. Well, the. We've had all kinds of pets pets when I was a high school student my boyfriend bought me home a baby crow and that crow grew up in the apple tree back here and with us and he learned to talk all by himself. And when I would come home from school he would comb my hair and call me pretty Carol. <laughs> <laughs> which was a very nice thing. Yeah. So we were always used to animals, and um, when I was writing for the Enterprise, a weekly column, uh, the gar- everybody let me do what I wanted. I had a column that I could, I mean, I acted as a reporter too, but I had this column I could write what I darn well pleased, and I had written that we were, had caught a baby bird, a robin, we thought, that had fallen off a nest, and we were bringing it up on um, cat food, the mashed cat food. Mm-hmm. pair of tweezers, you touch its beak, and wide open mouth, and gobble it up. And so this lady over in Schenectady called me up. I guess she called the Enterprise first, then got my telephone number and said, I have a baby here that fell out of a tree. Its eyes aren't even open. I said, well, I don't know if I can do anything but bring it over. So she brought this bird over, and well, the one we were bringing up, the robin, the girls had named Arlo Guthrie. <laughs> <So> <laughs> That's I, a sign of the times. So I said to this little little thing, we didn't know what it was. It was so little. I said, well, let's just call it Beethoven. And I couldn't spell. I didn't know there was an H in Beethoven. But you were trying to get some classical. I was getting classical the, music, yeah, in, and even I mean, if I couldn't spell it. <laughs> And so we brought the two of them up, upstairs in one of the bedrooms, and we taught them how to, when they grew up, we taught them how to fly. You get them on your hand, and you do this, and they flap their wings and so forth, and after they could fly, we opened the window and let them go out. And it turned out to be a robin and a boat-tailed grackle. The boat-tailed grackle was Beethoven. And, and they both flew off, and we didn't see them. Well, wow. We figured they had a lovely home. Well... A couple of years later, my daughter's fiance was painting this wall of the out here on a ladder up on the top of this wall, and I heard him yelling, "Carol, there's a bird out here driving me crazy!" So I went out and I saw this blackbird, and the blackbird saw me, and it came down and I said, "Oh, are you Beethoven and it it said, "If you are, let me know well." It came around, it followed me around to the front door, got on the front porch, and I said, well, I'm going in. Do you want to come in? And the bird came in and lived with me for 10 years. (laughs) We figured his wife had died. They are monogamous. Most of the blackbirds are monogamous. And I figured his wife had died, and he came home to Mama. He was looking for his first mother. <laughs> and he did he used to ride around on your shoulder? He rode around on my shoulder. Mm-hmm. We'd go out. He traveled all across the country with me. He went on vacations with me. We let him fly loose. He'd come back and sit on top of my head when he wanted to go in.
0: And was he also able to talk, or was that just no, your childhood I crow? don't think
1: that they have the ability. I see. Um, crows, I think... Can. Mm-hmm. Uh, you know, they, they say crows are about the smartest thing going. Very, very clever. Lots of fun and so forth and so on. But he he, he had, uh, our first one, we called him caulk. No, we called him Mert, after Fibber Magritte, and Molly, and Mert the telephone yeah. operator, <laughs> which is way back in the 30s, a radio serial. Yeah. And we'd say, what you say, Mert? And he'd say, "What." Ah. ha you know, he rode around on the steering wheel of my boyfriend's little Model A Ford when we went out. We'd say honk, Martin he'd say honk, honk, honk. <laughs> crazy, crazy time. <laughs>
0: yeah. Well, you mentioned um, how your later bird Beethoven went all across the country with you. Tell us about some of your most interesting trips where you well, went. Well, my father was
1: there. a semi-invalid. And my daughter was graduating from law school out in Seattle. And so we were going out for her graduation. And my father and I, uh, we had at this point in time gotten a um, Dodge, no, a Chevy van, I think. And uh, that. Up there is Beethoven's traveling cage. Oh,
0: and suspended from the ceiling of this lovely screened-in porch (laughs) is a wicker cage, probably twice the size of a shoebox, that um, is still
1: is hanging and looks in good shape. Well, it sat between my father and I in the front seat, and he went all across the country with us. And I stopped to see the Indian family out there in Bloomfield. And, and was this on the Navajo Reservation? On the Navajo Reservation. And uh, so we stayed at a motel right on the uh, right near there. And the family, I said to Douglas, who was the boy, who I'd been writing to at this point in time, he was probably about 18 or something, if you'd like to bring the family in, I'll take them out for supper. Well, in came Douglas, his mother, and about three uncles and four cousins or something. <laughs> and we met them out in the reception room of the motel. And um, Beethoven was there. I said, would you like to meet my bird? They said, oh, sure. So I took him out of the ca- Well, I didn't have him in the cage. I had him in our room. He was always loose and wherever he went. And he came out on my hand. And then sat on my shoulder and introduced him to all the fa- family, all Navajo Indians. And Douglas's mother had on a beautiful bird necklace. And she took it off and put it on me and said, Sajikawiha. That means bird lady. Oh and I still goodness. have the necklace. Sajikawiha. That's you, the bird lady. And so that was a fun stop there. And then we did get to. Uh, Seattle and my daughter's graduation and uh, you know we let Beethoven outside when he wanted to come back he'd get on my head and come in you must miss him so who are you I did I missed him terribly I said I miss his paws he never he never got my clothes dirty believe me he never pooped on me yeah He was very good about that,
0: yeah.
1: But I did miss him because he took every time I took a bath, he took a bath with me.
0: Oh my goodness! He'd sit
1: on my knees and slide off into the water and splash around. And do you have pets now? Well, we have the two dogs. Yes, we just met. And I have uh, my daughter, and I have a cat that is now travels with her back and forth from Florida to here, and she's here for the month of June. So the cat was here for the month of June. But we couldn't have the dogs in the house then because the cat we were afraid oh, yeah. would, you know, the dogs would hurt it. It was uh, just turned a year old now and it's a Persian, very cute little guy. And uh, so I do have that cat when I'm in Florida. And so he's Grandma's pet. So we're winding down on the amount of time we have, but I wonder if you could just talk a little
0: about your painting, because over the years, I've seen just some lovely paintings that you've done, and tell me about why you paint and what it is you
1: capture with that. Well, as I said, when I was in college, I went to the Art Students League Saturday mornings Mm -hmm. to study watercolor, and uh, didn't have any money, particularly, so whenever I had to give anybody a present, it was a painting. It was a watercolor, and uh, it was fun because the girls I met in the three arts club, one was studying voice at the Metropolitan Opera, and the opera building was just within a block or so then of the Art Students League. So I would go and do my painting in the morning and then meet them at at the opera because her voice teacher had two seats in the opera, and if she wasn't there, we could go in and use her seats and oh. use standing room. We'd buy standing room only and go to the opera Saturday afternoons. How lovely. So that was lovely. But anyway, it, you know, I just started, as I said, gifts. And um, when I was with the Advanced Pattern Company, I needed money for a wedding dress. So I talked to the vice president. and I said, I will make you a hand-done Christmas card if you want. So that week, I mean, when I had to get them to him, I spent day and night painting Christmas cards. So it wasn't like them. you painted a Christmas card and then had it reproduced. You painted no, in each in those cards I hand. wasn't that smart. I painted oh. all 500 of them. Oh, my
0: gosh. What was the Different scene? It was just,
1: I, you know, you'd think I would remember <laughs> what the scene was. <laughs> but the same I have, scene. But again. I also, I said, and I will um, sign it for you. I copied his handwriting. So every one of his Christmas cards that year went out handwritten and hand done.
0: And in return you got a wedding dress.
1: I got a hundred I earned enough money to buy my wedding dress, which cost me exactly a hundred dollars.
0: Oh my. Oh my.
1: <laughs> so describe your wedding dress. Being in the fashion world you well, must have it, a- I actually uh if you knew New York in the years past there was a what year, what, year, square, what year was your wedding? 48 Okay. Union Square was a big square where lots of soapbox orators and so forth spoke. Mm-hmm. But there was a discount store which would be the Walmarts of that day, I guess. and um, they were on the square and I went down there. they had a designer's knockoff room, Mm -hmm. and I got a knockoff wedding dress from a 57th Street uh, high-end boutique for that $100, and it was white satin.
0: Lovely. And what happened to it after the wedding? Did any of
1: your daughters wear it, or did it? I made it over for two daughters and my maid of honor, so it's been worn four times, and now it's hanging in the closet for my granddaughter if she ever wants it. Lovely. Out in California.
0: What a great family tradition. So it was... So yeah. you sew,
1: I mean, as well as designing, you're able to take that material. Oh, I, material had, to, into, I yeah. had to. I had to take machine techniques. I had to make take part uh, pattern making. I had to take all of that kind of thing. So I made all my girls' clothes except slacks. And just so listeners know... Carol is still dressed very
0: fashionably and colorfully. She has a turquoise top on today (laughs) with a lace yoke that goes perfectly with the tones in the swimming pool behind her. And then a a patterned in turquoise and jade hues gathered skirt. So it goes with her jade. Is that a jade bracelet? A turquoise bracelet? No, no, no. That's turquoise. Turquoise. That's an
1: Indian turquoise.
0: Oh, my goodness. Isn't that
1: lovely? With silver in between. Yeah. Really, after nice. just when you finish, I got to take you in the house for a minute because you'll be able to see some of my paintings. But some the uh, the Indian family have over the years, I've got a tremendous collection of Indian st- stuff, artwork, Well, pottery, I would love to, and we're
0: we're finished with our interview, so we'll close out.